Hey, Grace Church, my name is uh, Sean Sears. I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, we are in the second week of a uh, series um, called Long Story Short that I'm, I'm pretty pumped about. Um, by the way, uh, for those of you guys, that this is one, it's only the second week I've been able to say this, but uh, we're, we're now in three different locations. So for those of you guys who are in, uh, whether you're in Avon, Braintree, Bridgewater, uh, watching on Facebook Live or sometime after the weekend is over, we're glad that you guys are, are joining us. And uh, I know that the Bible can be intimidating. And um, I, I in, in many different conversations with my actual friends and neighbors who've begun uh, to follow after the ways of Jesus. Jesus and now have a new interest in learning about God. Uh, it, when, it, when it comes, and, and you're, you love being here, and I'm, I'm thankful to God that you love being a part of our, our weekend gatherings, um, but at some point it becomes necessary for you to learn how to grow in your own relationship with God, uh, independent of the weekend services. And I don't know, like I, I would imagine that probably all of us at some point have sat down, grabbed a Bible, and said, I'm going to start reading the Bible. Um, raise your hand if like, you've done that, like you've started it, and you said, like, like with conviction, like I'm going to get into this, and I'm going to start reading my Bible regularly. How many of you guys have ever like, made that commitment? Raise your hand. Okay, so then we make that commitment, and how many of you guys have ever stopped doing that? Raise your hand. <laughs> because it's so, it's like it's so huge, and it's it's really it's really intimidating. Uh, I know through college uh, that that all of my textbooks felt that way, and when somebody showed me what Cliff Notes were, um, I was like like ah right like like it was like a, like a holy moment because uh, I could I could get like like you could read like large novels in like 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 fifty pages instead of like three hundred four hundred or like in the English lit and that kind of stuff. And what we wanted to do is we wanted wanted to, um, um, uh, man, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not deconstruct, but uh, uh, eliminate the barrier of intimidation that, that we have when it comes to the Bible because essentially the entire, the, the, Bi the Bible covers the story of mankind and it kind of leaves off with a to be continued. And that to be continued is what we're living in now. In fact, there's like this huge gap between the Pauline epistles and the last book of the Bible, Revelation. So, we find ourselves right now in history living in that gap between the letters that Paul wrote the churches throughout Romans and everything that happens in the book of Revelation. We're living in that, that gap period. And when you look at the overarching story of, of the Bible, it covers all of humanity in essentially five different acts. So anytime you pick up the Bible, you're going to find yourself in one of these five acts, and it'll be covering um, actually, m most of the times, like pick up the Bible anywhere you want, open up to the, like wherever your, your, thumb, your thumb falls, and you'll be covering one of these five themes as well. It's, it's creation, uh, chaos, um, creation, chaos, covenant, uh, Christ, and, and then the, the church. Obviously, you don't get to the church until that last part of the Bible, what Christians refer to as the New Testament or, or the Greek scriptures, but you'll even find parts of like Christ, even though it doesn't mention his name that came up this past week in life group. Somebody asked, is Jesus' name ever actually mentioned in the Hebrew Bible? And it's not mentioned, but the idea that there would be a someone who would be born to a woman only, who would rescue all of mankind, actually shows up in Act 2, which is what we're covering today. 
The fact that he'd be born to a woman, that this baby would not just be a good person, wouldn't be uh, just a, a Jewish prophet, but that he would be the everlasting father born as a baby, like the almighty God. Isaiah said that this, that this baby who'd be born to us, a son who would be given, the government would be upon his shoulders, and he would be called the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father and the prince of peace. So Jesus was talked all about throughout all of the Hebrew scriptures, even though his name did not come up until until uh, until he was he was he was born uh, in, in in the New Testament in, in the Greek scripture. So we are in in the second act, the the second major theme of the Bible. And by the way, this uh, God the, we said last week that God creates uh, for 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 His pleasure. Uh, when it says and, and God said let there be, and then there was. He said and then it was good. Th- that word good actually means that it was it was pleasurable. Like this brought him joy. And and so so creating and recreating brings God joy. Every time somebody turns from sin, the Bible says, and, and actually the Jewish, the Jewish Bible, the Hebrew Scriptures, it says that God recreates in us. He takes out our, our heart of stone and he puts in us a heart of flesh. Every time somebody turns from sin to begin re- to repent of that sin and to begin following after God, God experiences that same joy in you that he felt when he said, and let the earth be filled with every creeping thing that creeps upon the ground. And then he says that it was good. He gets to recreate life in you when you turn from sin to begin following after him. So you see that creation all the way through the Bible. You also see this chaos all throughout the Bible. And then you see Two different covenants in the Bible, and we're going to cover that uh, next weekend, uh, and, then, and then we're going to get to, to Christ, and, and, then, and then us, like, like where God's leaving it un, uh, until the end. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 is, is uh, where we're at. Uh, so the Bible opens up, Acts 1, with a, a world uh, that is ruled by only two, two things. It, it, there's no government, um, there's no church, there's, there's no temple. There's no, there's no rules, and none of those things were necessary. There were no, there were no like prayer spots. There, like, there wasn't any, any altars. None of that stuff existed because when the entire world was created by God, it was ruled by only two things, holiness and love. And when everybody did what was right and did what was most loving, rules were unnecessary. Rules are only necessary for rule breakers, Right? The teacher doesn't have to go over rules for that one chick in class who always obeyed the rules and made everybody else look bad. How many guys hated her? Anybody else? How many of you were her? Just need to know who to hate. That's all. As well. <laughs> Right, like, so rules are meant for the lawless, and no one was lawless. We were, we were governed by holiness and love, and the world was perfect. And, and someday, it's, it's going to go back to that. What we said was is that this explains why each one of us long for a world that doesn't look like the one we're actually in. Because we were created for a perfect world governed by holiness and love, like I believe that that, like, that stamp that is imprinted in our hearts and in our souls, and you could not even be religious, and you know the world isn't the way it's supposed to be. Why do we all universally feel that way? 
because it's not how God intended it, intended it to be. Uh, and then we left it last week with, with the two trees. Uh, there were two trees that God put in the middle of guard, the garden in, in chapter 2. It talks about it, I believe, in verses 8 and 9, and then goes into more detail. I think it's in verse 15. But there are two trees that God puts in the middle of the garden. The first tree is called the tree of life, and that this tree represented God is the source of everything that is good in the world. And as long as Adam and Eve were eating off of that tree, it represented the recognition in their own hearts that God is everything I need, that God is the one who determines right from wrong. God knows what is best for me. All of the good things in my world come from God. And the other tree we said, now the tree is known as the tree of the knowledge of good and the evil, but essentially it's the tree of, I will choose for myself what is right and wrong. I'll choose for myself. And the reason why God created that tree was simply to give them an option. If he had not have created that tree, then they would have been stuck in a relationship that they might not have wanted. By giving them a way out, it gave them a way to demonstrate that God is who they wanted. In the same way, you would never want somebody to date you who was forced to date you. <laughs> Unless it's been a long time since you've been on a date. Right? Um, uh, God, God, God didn't want us to be in a relationship with him because we had no other choice either. You wouldn't want somebody to be in a relationship. You wouldn't want somebody to be forced to love you. And there's no way in the world God would settle for a cheaper version of love than what any of us would settle for either, right? So he creates that tree. We kind of left it with these two options. And every single day, we talked about this in life groups this past week, but every single day we wake up and we get to choose which tree we're going to eat from that day. Do I choose to eat from the tree of life that says, God knows what is best for my life. Everything that I have is at his disposal because everything I have came from his generosity? Or will I eat from the tree today that says, I'm going to do it my way and I will decide what is best for me? Every day, we get those same two choices. Every day, we're eating from one of those two trees. And today opens up with one of the weirdest, I think this is the weirdest few verses in the entire Bible. And if you have any questions about this, don't ask me. Because I don't know. It's weird. Like, I, do, I don't even know what to do with the beginning of chapter 3. Like, I, like I'm, a, I'm a rational, intelligent. Don't all of us think that we're rational, intelligent? I bet you irrational morons still think they're rational, intelligent adults. Right? Like, nobody ever goes, I'm an irrational moron. So, like, we all think we're intelligent people. I'm, I'm like you. I think I'm an intelligent person. So when I read chapter 3, I don't know what to do with this. All right? Here we are. Genesis chapter 3, where this is like the weirdest few verses in the entire Bible. The serpent, and I know what a serpent is. Right? What's a serpent? A serpent's a snake, right? Or like, at least that's my version of a serpent. Maybe there were different kinds of serpents. I, like I'm, so I'm saying, I, I don't know what to do with this. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. How could they tell? How could they tell it was the shrewdest? Like, what was the evidence that it was the shrewdest of all the creatures that God had made? I, like I said, if that's one of your questions, don't ask me. Um, uh, it was the shrewdest of all he had made. One day, he, the, the serpent, asked the woman, <laughs> what? 
(laughs) That's where it gets weird. The serpent talked to the woman. And the woman doesn't go, hey, you're talking. That's weird. Like if in the... (laughs) If the serpent started talking to me and I'm in the Garden of Eden, like my first thought wouldn't have been to answer its question. I'd have said, how are you doing that? I'd have thought Adam was making some kind of a joke, like a ventriloquist, like throwing his voice. So like, Adam, I'm not going to fall for this prank. Like, like, but she just rolls with it. Like, this is normal. Because like yesterday he was asking for directions to the other side of the garden. And today he just got another question. She just rolls with it like that's what's happening. Um, one day he, the serpent, asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? He starts a conversation with her. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, I, I, I would, if I'm Eve, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do now. Like, this is, this is odd. But she just answers the question, uh, like, like this is normal. Of, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. The woman, and, and by the way, this is one of only two times in the entire Bible where a creature has the gift of speech. Did you know that there was another time? This is like this, there's, there's, two, there's two times. Oh, my word. And it's with this guy named Balaam, who is a prophet, who when the Jews are coming into the promised land after wandering in the wilderness for 40, for 40 years, uh, they were getting permission from some of the countries they were walking through uh, to get to uh, the promised land. And this one guy didn't want to give them permission and uh, instead, he went out and hired this prophet of God, who, by the way, was not Jewish, uh, right? So, and, and by the way, Moses married a girl named Zipporah, whose father was a priest, who was also not Jewish. So there were others who knew of the one creator God, who rescues us from sin by placing our faith in the sacrifice that he will one day offer on our behalf. Um, but they're walking through, and, and this king hires this prophet to curse them. And uh, so when the prophet is on his way to go curse the Jews, um, the, the Bible says that, that the angel of the Lord stands in the road with, with a sword. And if, and if Balaam had come up, then God was going to, God was going to kill him. Uh, Balaam can't see angels, just like you and me can't see angels. So he doesn't know that that angel is there. Uh, but the donkey somehow saw that, which makes me wonder, has Roxy ever seen an angel? I should probably be nicer to Roxy. All right, anyway, I, I'm, I, I'm sorry. I make jokes about Roxy. I'm, I'm actually the only one in my family who loves that stupid dog. Um, and I'm the only one who pets her. I'm not the only, my wife, don't tell her that. Sorry, because like she's the one. Okay, my wife does all the work in that. Like she, she without my wife, why am I getting down to this? I, I, I need to change this up. We're going to go back to the talking donkey. So the donkey stops and, 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 and Balaam gets off and starts beating the donkey to make it go. But Balaam can't see angels just like you and me can't see angels. But the donkey saw it and the donkey ain't going nowhere. And he starts beating the, 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 the donkey to make it, to make it go. And, uh, the Bible says that God, it actually says, and then the angel opened up the mouth of the donkey. And then the donkey turns and looks at Balaam and, and says, there's, there's an angel on the road. And then like Balaam talks back to it again, like this ain't no thing. <laughs> that is crazy. Only two times in the whole body. Like that's the only two times in, have you ever wished your dog could talk? Anybody ever wish like your pet could talk? Right? Um, so, like, I, I, I wish that, that, like, dogs could talk and stuff like that. There are actually two times in all of history when it's actually happened. 
the first time is Genesis chapter 3. Second time, the donkey had like one sentence to say and it's over. Um, and, then, and then the Bible says that then, then the angel allowed himself to be seen by Balaam and then they had a conversation and Balaam was like, you know, my Lord, my God, I'm, I'm sorry, that was stupid. And then he doesn't curse the Jews. But, um, th but this one is like a longer conversation. Back, back at it. Uh, of course, we may eat from the trees in the garden. The woman replied, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. The serpent says, you won't die. Come on. God's exaggerating. So the first thing he tries to tempt her with is questioning whether or not God's honest. Right? Really? Like, does he really want what's best for you? Like, yeah, I don't know if you can really trust everything he says. You won't die. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat, and you'll be like him, knowing both good and evil. The way that he got her to eat from the tree of, I will decide for myself what is right and wrong, was to get her to believe that God was holding out something better from her. That God was keeping her from what was best for her. Isn't that still the way it is? Like when I have a choice between what is right and what is wrong, and I know in my heart that I'm about to choose what's wrong, it's usually because I think choosing that path is going to get me what I want more. Right? Nothing's really changed about this. Sin always promises something better than God. And you know what it does? Here's how it's tricky. It offers you an immediate reward in exchange for a permanent one. It offers you a plastic necklace now. Remember the ones you get for a quarter in the little thing? In exchange for the solid gold chain later. And we sacrifice what God's been building behind the scenes for us for who knows how long. We'll walk away and we'll abandon that because we can have this cheap plastic piece of crap now. And once we get that, then we recognize we chose poorly. Part of her problem was that she didn't recognize how good she already had it. She thought God was keeping from something good from her, but the truth is she already had everything good God had ever made for her. She had everything she needed to be content and happy for the rest of her life, but she wasn't focusing on what she already had. She was only now focused on what she didn't have. Isn't that us? I'm completely fine with my 2007 Jeep Cherokee until my neighbor gets what? A 2018 Cherokee. And now my truck's a piece of crap. <laughs> my truck's fine. I loved my car. I, lo I love my 2007 Jeep Cherokee. I love my Cherokee, right? Until I started looking at somebody else's newer, brighter, shinier one. 
It's that idea of comparison that robs us from enjoying everything God's already given us. Right? I, I don't think I, I'm, I'm, I'm probably the only person here who struggles with this. Right? Not being content with what I already have. Recognizing that God does not owe me more. What God owes me, I don't want. And I'm grateful for everything he's given me that I didn't deserve. And the root source of most of my frustration and unhappiness is when I act as though he owes me more. And I'm not content with what I already have. I want more. Verse 6 and 7, so here's what happens. Verse 6, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So like, like she's just going through like this little rationalization. Um, so she took some of the fruit and she ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was there with her. He was there with her. Why in the world did he not stop her? Caution her or anything? It's almost like he wanted to see what would happen to her first. <laughs> what a jerk! Right? <laughs> I'm glad husbands aren't like that at all anymore. <laughs> Completely selfless. Completely selfless. Uh, and he ate it too. Verse 7, At that moment their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Instantly, instantly, they went from a rule, a world that was ruled by holiness and love to a rule, to a, to a, sorry, I had a speech impediment when I was a kid and I would get my R's and W's mixed up. I would say railroad instead of railroad. Uh, so like a, ruled by a world, sorry, that was messing me up. They went from a world that was wooled, <laughs> a world that was ruled by holiness and love to a world that was now ruled by fear and shame. And this happened instantly. And immediately, their eyes were open. And they felt something God never intended for the human race. Shame. They never felt it. And, I, and I'll point out that neither of them felt it until both of them had eaten that. Isn't that odd? It was at, like Adam takes it, and then their eyes were immediately opened, and they felt shame. The nakedness that had once represented unashamed intimacy now represented exposure. How many times have we done that? How many times have we known the difference between right and wrong? The question for Adam and Eve was not that they didn't know it was wrong. And truthfully, for me, that's not my issue. I am not confused on the difference between right and wrong. I most often know what is wrong and I eat it anyway. I'm looking for that short-term, quickie plastic bracelet. Right? That's what I'm doing. How many times, though, have we chosen to eat from the tree of, I decide for me what is right and wrong, and instantly regret it? I would ask you to raise your hand, but all of our hands would probably go up. 
and I would ask you to tell a story, but you would not want to tell it because this would be a great time for me to give an illustration of me doing something wrong and immediately wish I couldn't or I hadn't. Have you ever like done something and like you just wish you could just, I just wish I could go five minutes back in time, just five minutes, just five minutes. Or have you ever done something so bad, like so bad, you were afraid this was going to ruin the rest of your entire life? Or for some of us, it did change the entire direction of the rest of our lives and we knew it right after we had done it and we just wish we could go back to yesterday, right? That's exact, but the story, the only stories I can think of are stories that are none of your business. <laughs> so I got, you insert your own story here because this has happened to every single one of us. And that is common among every person who has ever lived. We are just like our original parents. We have the same choices every day and every single stupid day we eat from the same stupid tree. And as soon as we do, instantly filled with shame, that then leads to fear, which then leads to anger and alienation. And it happened to them. Verse 8, so that fear and shame drives them. Watch this, verse 8. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they did something they had never needed to do or even felt like doing since the day they were first created. They did what? They hid from who? The source of all that is good. The source of unending love. Instead of running to him to be rescued from what they had done, their shame made them irrationally fear the only person who could help them. Their shame and fear moved them to run and hide from God. man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord called to the man, where are you? As if the trees that God put there, he couldn't see behind. Right? Have you ever, anybody ever play hide and go seek with their kids? And then like the kids, I saw a meme this past week where the dogs just got like one head under the, under the bed. And the guy says, me, trying to hide. Like, if I couldn't see them, they couldn't see me. But your whole body is sticking out. Okay, my dad tells a story of how we had played hide-and-go-seek for like an hour, which is a very patient dad because an hour is a really long time for hide-and-seek. I think the longest I've ever played hide-and-seek in my life is 15 minutes, and that's a long time to play hide-and-seek, right? So we've been playing hide-and-seek forever, and I ran out of all the spots. And my mom was watching this, and my dad was like, eight nine, and, it like, like, and I'm like, I can't think of any, like, I don't remember this at all. I've just heard them tell this story a million times. And in a sheer moment of terror, he goes 10, and he starts to turn around, and I just go like this. <laughs> and my dad turns around and goes, where's Sean? Where's, and I'm like, 
where's Sean? Is he over here? Like, no, no. I'm like answering. I'm, I'm a moron. Okay, sorry. I'm the irrational moron in the room, apparently. And I have been since I was a small child. That is essentially what Adam does. He sinned. He feels shame. And now he's afraid. And he runs from the only person who can fix him. And when he just hides behind a tree. And then God goes, Adam, where are you, bud? Did God know where he was at? Yeah or no? Yes or no? Ab ab absolutely. God knew it was up. He says, uh, 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 where, where are you? Ver, verse 10 is, is where we're at right now. Verse 10. Verse 10 says, uh, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Remember that nakedness. It was just the way God had created them. None of this stuff on top. There was nothing between. They didn't need clothing for shelter or for the elements because it was a perfect world created for them to procreate and recreate order out of chaos for the, they, God gave them two instructions fill the world with other many versions of you other images of me and bring order out of chaos I want you to get to make things out of the entire world like I just made the world over the past week I want you guys to be able to be able to do that. That was the only instructions. Uh, that was the only instructions that 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 they had. Um, he runs and hides. Uh, who told you that you you were naked? Uh, nothing between them and 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 God. Nothing between them and others. Uh, and this and this nakedness was a a picture again, of of intimacy, closeness. Nothing between us. And now that they had sinned, what had once represented. Nothing between me and anybody else now brought, brought fear of, of, of being exposed. And that was the problem. The problem is that now you see what you are as a bad thing. And truthfully to this day, we don't like being transparent and open with other people. You know why? For the same reasons. We're afraid of being hurt. Just like he was. He felt shame for who he was. That shame made him afraid of being rejected. So he avoided it altogether by just pushing God away. I'm just going to keep my distance. That was why this was a problem. So God says, who told you, verse 11, who told you you were naked, the Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I told you not to eat? He gives Adam a chance to own up to what he did. Did you do what I told you not to do? It's like my dog, not my dog, I think the better example would be one of my children got cookie crumbs around their mouth. He said, did you eat that cookie? No, sir. They look at you like little doe eyes and they got crumbs all the way around their lips. Did you eat that cookie? I know they ate the cookie. I'm giving them the, yes, sir, I did. I'm sorry, right? That's a whole, then they get a whole different response than, no, sir. No, I promise you. I promise you I did not eat that cookie. No, sir, I did not eat that cookie. He gives them the same chance. Did you eat from the tree I told you not to eat? Here's his moment to step into it, to own what he had done. And here's what he does. The man replied, It was a woman you gave me. 
who gave me the fruit and I ate it. it wasn't even my idea. You said she was for me. And she said that was, I, it was the woman, wait a minute, and you're the one who gave me that woman. It's everybody's fault, but whose? Mine. And are we not still doing the exact same thing? Why are you in debt? It ain't because of you, is it? Right? <laughs> You're laughing because when I said, why are you in debt? You had like three. It's the woman God gave me. That's why I'm in debt. <laughs> right? Like every one of our problems is somebody else's problem. Yes or no? To this day, we won't own up to what we've chosen to do. No one put that fruit in Adam's mouth. He willingly chose, I decide for myself what is right and wrong. I will not do it God's way. No one forced you to rebel against God. No one forced you to resist his authority over your life. No one forced you to do that. You might have done that with somebody else, but you consciously chose to decide for yourself what was right and wrong. And what was right for you was not what God wanted. Same thing he did. Verse 13, Then the Lord God asked the woman, What have you done? Check. What, what did you do? Now she's got the opportunity to step up and to do what Adam wouldn't do. Own up to her mistake. And here's what she does. The serpent tricked me. I was tricked. That's, that's why I, I ate it. This exact same, first of all, I, I love this. The response that God has isn't like some distant Greek God sitting on Mount Olympus who then grabs another lightning bolt off of a stack of lightning bolts and hurls it down onto mankind and destroys them. What I love is that in the very opening two scenes of the Bible, when mankind rebels against the authority of God, the image of God that we have is of a loving father who is seeking relentlessly his lost kids in the woods. Just like any good father would. And the reason why I think that's important to, to, to note is because some of you, do not know the God of the Bible. Your image of God is as a giant God of wrath who hates you for every horrible thing you've ever done. And you may have done some horrible things, but none of those horrible things have ever made him stop loving you. He's only chased you down harder, calling out to the tree you're hiding behind. Where are you? Why are you hiding from the only person who can fix this. Why is it that when I sin, I feel so much shame that I am now afraid to go back to God and ask for forgiveness? Because I know he, I don't deserve it. I almost feel like I deserve to be punished. And sometimes when I sin, I intentionally don't make things right with God because I feel I deserve more 
I don't, does that, that's really a dysfunctional way of thinking about it. But that's sometimes how I feel. I have a, I have a distorted view of God. Because God knew that from that one choice that Adam and Eve chose to destroy the world ruled by holiness and love, he knew every murder that would ever come from that. He knew every rape that would ever happen because of that. He knew cancer would come from this. He knew that death, disease, war, poverty, and famine would come from this. And from the people who caused all of this crap, it's all their fault. And he shows them compassion and love when they didn't deserve it. And if God would show them compassion, you have nothing to be afraid of in him either. Back at it. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. So apparently, the serpent at one point did not slither. And now it does. And I will cause, verse 15, hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and, this is the only place in the entire Bible where it says this, her offspring. Children are always referred to in the Bible as the offspring of the male. They're connected to, it's a patriarchal world, uh, and, and, and uh, they were known as the, the child of uh, the father, especially in the Hebrew Bible. You were always, you know, and then Abraham begat, and then this guy begat, and then this guy begat, and then this guy begat. Only time in the entire Bible where it's about a woman who begat. And it's right here in this verse, verse 15. I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And in talking about her offspring, he calls her offspring, this child of a woman, calls that baby a he. He will. That's the next word. He will. What does it say? He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. There's some imagery happening here. So he sits down, and he, and, he, and he says to the serpent, you'll crawl on your belly for all of eternity, like forever. Like you will, you will eat from the dust, and you will grovel. You will slither on the ground. And then speaking to Satan, he says, I will create, there's now going to be hostility, and there's a war now between your offspring and her offspring. And he that offspring of her, will crush your head. Symbol of your authority, your rule, and you will crush his heel, the symbol of his flesh, his body. You will take his life, but he will take your control. Verse 16. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. And your, your, you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. 
And to the man he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. In all of your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return." This isn't coming from a God who's wrathful and hateful. and That's not where this is coming from. He's explaining to them the very real consequences of living in a world that is now corrupted by fear, shame, and sin and is no longer ruled by holiness and love. When Adam and Eve chose to rebel against the authority of God in their life. When they chose not to live in a world ruled by holiness and love, they found the evil, corruption, hate, and struggle. And all God does is sits down and tells them, this is what will happen next. All of us have this choice between what is right and wrong, And whenever we choose wrong, we come to a place where we eventually regret this. God then pursues us where we're at in our sin, calling us back to himself. But I also need to point out that that does not mean he will protect you from the consequences of the choices you made. Are you with me? Some of us will come back to God when we've done some horrible things, thinking that if I start going to church, then the government won't find out I've been robbing them of their taxes or whatever it is you're afraid of. Or if I start going to church now, God has to save my marriage because you cheated on your spouse. So now you came back, so now he has to take away the consequences of your choices. I'm going to church, so God owes me a debt-free life now. I'm going to church, so he owes me a job. You see what I'm saying? When God sits down and tells them this, he says, my love for you has not changed, but I will not keep you from the consequences of the choices you have made. If you plant watermelon seeds, then don't get mad at God when a watermelon grows there. I know you wanted corn, but you didn't plant corn, you planted watermelon. Right? That's a New Testament principle also where it says, we reap what we sow. You will grow what you plant. He says, so if you've been planting seeds of the flesh, then don't be surprised when you reap corruption. Jesus said this. But if you plant seeds of the Spirit, you will reap life, gifts from the Spirit. Let's wrap this bad boy up. Verse 20. Then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and, I, and his wife. And I, and I love this because Act 2 ends with one last thing. God killing two animals. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins For Adam and Eve, his wife, Adam and his wife. Then the Lord God said, look, the human beings have become like us. Remember that God, one God said, 
that mankind has become like us, plural. We, we talked about that last week, that there is one God who lives with himself in unity somehow, and we don't, we have a hard time, we, we, that's rough for us, but if there is a God, I'm okay with the fact that there's things about him I'm just not going to get, even when he puts it in black and white, even when I can read it in English, in the same way that even if I could speak Roxy to my dog Roxy, I'm never going to be able to get Roxy to understand how the internet works. Even if I was able to say it in my dog's language, because he just ain't she. I just changed my dog's gender. She's not going to be able to understand that because of the differences in our intelligence. So there are things about God that we're not going to get. This is, again, one of those things. Um, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good, and now they know evil. What if they reach out and take from the tree of life and eat it? Then they'll live forever. The problem that, that God wasn't trying to destroy anything for us, he said, but they would live forever in what condition? In a fearful, full of shame, hate, and anger condition. I don't want them stuck, broken. I'm not going to allow them to do that. I love them too much to let them get stuck this way. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed a mighty cherubim. Uh, that's, that's, you can read the rest of that if, if you want. And, and this act of grace, God covering up their sin for them, was the first of how many times he continues to cover up our mistakes to figure this for them. How many times in your life? A thousand? A million? Like how many times has God extended grace to me when I deserve to be condemned and judged? And how many times have I gone to God to be forgiven and he's forgiven me? Way more than a hundred. Honestly, for me, way more than a thousand. Probably, not probably. Talk to somebody who knows me. We're, we're like, I, I might be getting into seven, seven figures here. Honestly. And then how many times for all of, how many times for you plus me, and then everybody who's ever lived who's repented of their sin and turned back to God. And it all started with that one time when they deserved to be crushed for everything that they had done. But instead of giving them what they deserved, he gave them mercy instead. And what I'm saying is that if you've been hiding behind the tree in your life because of fear and shame, you're hiding from the wrong person. You're hiding from the only person who can put this back together again. The only one who can forgive you for the stupid thing that you feel fear and shame over. And rather than running from him, if you would turn to him, you would find that he extends to you the exact same thing. Compassion and correction, but compassion. God himself provides a covering that's better than ours, but the cost is high. Death. Of something that was innocent. The sin needed to be paid for. And if not by the guilty, then it would have to be paid for by the innocent. But a person's made in the image of God. Their value is here. And whatever animal he killed to make them coverings is not made in the image of God and was a temporary covering. So the rest of the scriptures is the story of how man offers temporary payment 
for their debt before God, looking for, waiting on the offspring of the woman to make it permanent. Mankind steps out of a world ruled by holiness and love into a world of fear, shame, death, and complete chaos. Mankind now fights and struggles to survive while waiting on this offspring of the woman who will crush the head of evil and undo what they had done. And religious or not, we all sense that something is wrong on this planet. And just like last week's message helps us make sense of why we long for a world that does not presently exist. This week's message helps us understand how it became broken. And it shows us God as the rescuer and points to Jesus as the redeemer, as the one who takes our place. And this isn't just about Adam and Eve, and it's about, it's about us. Because on a regular basis, every time we choose to eat from the tree of I will decide for myself what is right and wrong, we fall into the exact same cycle that Adam and Eve fell into. Shame, which leads to fear, which leads to blame, which leads to separation. And like Eve, we long to be the God of our own lives and end up falling back into the same pattern she started that Adam continued, that I perpetuate. And what I love is that God doesn't leave us there. He could, but he doesn't. If you find yourself today broken and stuck, you don't have to stay there. You've just got to let go of your fear and shame. If you feel guilt, that is not from God. Hold on, you need to get this. What's from God is conviction. The conviction that I've broken God's laws, which leads me back to Him in repentance and forgiveness, then I can let it go. But if you feel shame and guilt, that is not from God. The feelings that you feel right now are intended to push you toward the one who can clean you up from it. And if what you feel is keeping you away, that is not from God. That's from the enemy trying to keep you in chaos. You can get out of that, but not on your own. You need God, and that's the chance you have right now. If you would, bow your head with me. God, I'm thankful that you love us in spite of the millions of times we eat on a regular basis from the same stupid tree Adam and Eve ate from. God, I'm sorry for all of the ways that I choose to decide for myself that I know more than what you do for me. God, I'm asking for your will to be done in our lives so that your will can be done through our lives. Help us to see the sin that is causing us to turn from you and help us to be grieved enough over that to let go of it and to turn back to you. If that's where you're at, you've got that opportunity right now. 
God, I know that I've sinned against a holy and righteous God. I know that I constantly choose to rebel against your authority, and I'm sorry for running from you when I should have been running back to you. And Jesus, while I would never ask you to take my punishment on yourself, since you volunteered, I'd be crazy to ignore it. Take away my sin and cover my sin for me. God, take it away. God, I pray that you're pleased by the choices that we're making in our heart right now. I'm asking for your will to be done. Please, help us to let go of the fear and shame that have defined us for too long and turn back to you. We ask this in the great name of Jesus, and we all pray and say together.